Hi, I'm Lee from LNR Models. I'm based in Huddersfield, but uh, due to the internet, that uh, doesn't necessarily mean anything. It could be, uh, could be national. Before we start, then, just just explain a little bit about this side business that you're currently doing. This is something that you've only recently started during this year, during the COVID situation. Yeah, kind of. Um, I've been making models for about 10 years now, maybe a little bit more. Um, it started from just trying to build up my son's model railway and, uh, and then it became kind of mine as I become a little bit more obsessed with it. Started building little card models that I'd downloaded from the internet and thought, oh, I can do better than that and started making things a little bit more structured, a little bit more real looking. I've entered model railway forums and sort of shared my work and through that I was getting sort of people saying, oh, can you make me this signal box or whatever and I'd done a bit of that but obviously working full-time there's not an awful lot of time for, for model making really when you're trying to fit in a busy family life as well so uh, I did a bit of that and and he was kind of saying you know I hope you get more work out of out of doing this and uh, I said yeah it'd be nice but you know then again it kind of fell by the wayside and I didn't really do anything for a while and then I saw something on Facebook somebody was after a, a West Yorkshire based modeler to do something and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time I said yeah I'm in West Yorkshire what do you want doing and, and from that I ended up making a huge railway layout or models for a railway layout and then come towards you know the end of March period I was just finishing off a model for him and I'd made one for myself I'd made a like a showcase model sort of showing exactly you know how far I could push something I thought just on a whim one Tuesday evening or whatever it was I took a photograph of it in my kitchen in my hand just snapped it and said to my lowly amount of followers that I had then does anybody fancy a model making of their own house just a you know a throwaway comment and it must have got picked up by somebody who was following somebody else and following somebody else and ended up being retweeted by somebody that had a fairly high follower count and the next morning I'd got you know an inbox full of inquiries saying yeah I'd like one how much you know that kind of thing so it kind of took off from there so ever since end of March I've had a full order book I've been making models on a daily basis throughout the whole of lockdown. It's amazing isn't it that something something like the coronavirus comes along and then it opens up doors for people I mean obviously it's been a terrible time but this has been a time for you to get creative yeah it has um I mean it's it is a bit of a hobby as well it's something that I love doing it's not a chore so you know my wife keeps coming in and saying are you still making you know playing with houses or whatever and you know we've discussed before she says it's not a bad thing because you might put the amount of hours that you put into it but you enjoy doing it it's not like you know you're doing bookkeeping for hours on end so yeah it's it's been pretty good that a lot it seems even though it's a difficult time a lot of people think yeah i'd like one of those or you know it's a sort of a unique idea having a, a permanent record of somewhere where they live or they used to live or you know because a lot of people make models for you know for architectural purposes or for railways or forever but i don't think many people make models of people's actual houses for them to to have and keep on the mantelpiece or whatever i sort of found you via twitter via somebody that i knew who'd um, retweeted one of the things that you'd done a model of a house and I was just blown away by it. Amazing. I just think that your skills are just second to none. And I was always into sort of model railways as a kid and I'd seen them, but I was like, wow, that's amazing. And at the time, obviously, I was working on this Granada project. And yeah. one of the things that I would like to have done for an exhibition was be great to have a little model of the Granada for people to go and see at Mansell Museum. So I thought, wow, maybe I could get in touch with this guy. Would you be interested? And, and I got in touch with you pretty early on in lockdown myself. And that's where it all began for us, isn't it? It is, yeah. And uh, obviously at that time, I had, I mean, I still do, I have a fairly large order book. And, and as you know, you know, you you put down, say, September, October. And back then it was, what, May, April, May, I think. 
and it was like, oh, yes, it's a, it's a good time in advance. I can definitely do that for you. And uh, through sort of cancellations and what have you, you, you contacted me to say that the, the exhibition had been put back and there was a little bit more time on it. But I was obviously equally aware that I had to do this. Not that I had to do this, but, you know, to get it done. So it was kind of a nice thing that eventually got round to, to working with you and, and, and got onto it. And But from a, a point of view of it being not one of the house models, you know, I make models of anything. You know, the houses are, are a bit of a unique selling point for what I do. But I'm a, I'm a model maker. I'm, I can make a model of sort of pretty much anything. So it was a nice challenge to have. It was, um, you know, as soon as I saw it, I said, yeah, I can do that. I mean, I've been involved with a, a design agency over the summer making some little dioramas for a, an advertising project that they they did. It was nothing to do with houses at all. It was, you know, little model boats and uh, things like that. So... It's kind of anything, really. So the Granada didn't phase you one bit. And I suppose we really need to talk about the process behind it because the thing about the Granada Mansfield is that there aren't that many pictures of it, for starters. So I know that for the first, as soon as we'd agreed that we were going to do it, there was a lot of me sending stuff to you via email and, and you receiving these pictures. I mean, what was going through your head when this crazy guy from Mansfield started to send you loads of things and your inbox was filling up with all of these little pictures? Well, I mean, the, the first thing was that you sent me a load of plans and I thought, that's bingo, that's exactly what I want. So, you know, plan is a modeler's dream because you're not having to make things up, you can see what was actually there. Although translating that to the 3D aspect of photographs and you know tying them all together is, a, is still can be a little bit tricky, but having the, the plans, although as we've both discussed, sort of having the plans and what's actually there in, or was there in reality, sometimes a little bit of a difficult thing and we know we've had to make a few compromises but I like getting the the photo you know the more, more photographs the merrier so I was more than happy to uh, to have all these images pop up the only aspect that we really had to uh, to deal with was what time frame we were going to tie it down to because having photographs of something in 1970 or uh, 1964 you know things even though it was quite constant things were disappearing and, and reappearing like the buildings next to it had gone the frontage had changed, I think, in 1960. So there was there were some early ones with big columns, and yeah. and then the later later parts, as you say, roofs had disappeared off buildings, and then at the end, buildings were disappearing next to it because the whole sort of road Westgate was being taken down to make way for the shopping centre, and then obviously the Granada went in in 73. The plans came from the Nottingham archives. I went to the Nottingham archives, and they were very helpful, and I, and I and I was surprised to find so much in there but as you say it would seem that the plans are slightly different to what was on paper as to what was built you do find these situations where they may have planned something and when it came to building it thought no it's not quite working or we're going to change this i mean i don't know what planning <laughs> what planning was like in whenever with these things were built but there may have been situations where they've they've not had to sort of strictly submit the drawings that were used sort of nowadays if you're doing something and discover that something's not going to work and it needs to be rebuilt differently you need to resupply the or resubmit the uh, the plans so the plans on record are, are what actually built but i think they'll have had instances where they'll have decided something was too ornate or whatever it's like i built a model of a railway station that's no longer there so it's a similar situation i've had to refer back to plans which i managed to find but the plans were they used ornate ironwork for the canopies etc the brackets and what you found in reality was, you know, they'd used something generic that they'd found elsewhere. You know, some, some architectural yard had got a job lot of brackets or something, so they used those instead of what was originally designed. Well, exactly. I think, obviously, when you design something in your head, which was um, the architect Thraves who had made plans for loads of cinemas 
not just in Nottinghamshire but beyond that's a cinema in their head and they go for probably the most ornate thing but when the builder arrives on site then sometimes it's like well that's well surely that should be straight rather than you know yeah. and then they they changed them around a little bit so you decided you opted I think the first picture I sent you was the black and white one 1964 week before the big gig of Billy J. Kramer, Yard Birds were on the bill, Kinks were on the bill. I was telling you all about this. You said you would have liked to have gone to that gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I remember my dad was into the Kinks. He was into. Well, both my mum and dad were obviously into the 60s music, but I, I was aware of everyone. Billy J. Kramer. That sort of time frame, we had a, a good photograph of it, a good solid photograph, and it was just. It just seemed to, to click that that was when we needed to do it for. Admittedly, the, the photograph was black and white, which made sort of tying colours and things down, but we had later images which suggested what, what things should look like so I think it was a good time frame to just pick yeah we had a great picture which was discovered by the old Mansfield Society which they gave to the museum that was a little bit later I think it was Thunderball James Bond was on yeah. the, the front of it and with that you were able to get the colours which is what we needed really or you would have had to have made it up I suppose yeah I suppose so. I mean uh, it's not entirely 100% accurate you know it may be a little bit more grey than it should be sort of fawn coloured the stonework but you know we, we're getting a general feel of it 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 looks right. Things like the the signage, we're getting an idea of you know what colour yellow it should have been or what colour red. It's um, sometimes you've just got to take a little bit of artistic or modeler's license to um, not make up, but put what you imagine should have been there, rather than painstakingly thinking, I don't know what's there, so I have to leave it blank. You know, you've got to kind of get a feel of what should be there and what it may look like. You started in a different way than you normally do with the model. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, cause, because of the way it kind of works, you've got the inset doorway and the shops and everything. Usually, I would like to, I'd like to make the model as a, as a complete structure and then go back in and detail it, add windows, doors, etc. But it would have been a far too fiddly and intricate to try and fit the doorways, etc. Especially, you know, the foyer aspect of it in retrospect you know after the event so it was kind of build it from the ground up so I built the doorway entranceway first and finished it and then moved on to building above it so that was different to how I would normally approach a model and that was fun because at that point we were able to have a bit of collaboration yeah. where I was able to say right okay we know what the front posters are because you've got those on the picture but what about the posters in inside the foyer and that's yeah. where we started to talk about oh that's where I done my research at Mansell Museum that and like I say well yeah. next week what was the what was the film now? Six three three squadron. Six three three squadron was yeah. on, and we managed to find a, a, a British a UK quad poster of that, and you miniaturised it. Yeah, because what I'd originally done was just pick some generic sort of film posters from that kind of era. At that scale, you know, unless you've got your eye right up against it, you're not going to really see. But I wanted it right. But you wanted it right, so I, I took what was down and put put back up what you wanted, which was uh, totally within your rights as the client, and you know, I, was, I was happy enough to do that. I mean, there were a lot of modelers, and myself included, in putting things in because you know they're there. It's like you know, little bits of details. I've like made things before with a completely enclosed office behind a wall that you won't see. You won't even see if you stick your eye up against the window, but I know it's there. So it's kind of like that. Whereas there's a, an old modeler, sadly passed away now, he's called Alan Downs, he was a railway modeler. He was extremely good, but he only ever built what you could see. So for example, if you've got a, you know, a row of houses that you're not going to see the back of, he never bothered building the back of it. It's a very sensible thing to do in terms of productivity. If, you, if nobody's going to see it, what's the point building it? And he was very quick in that way that he could build that kind of thing. But I tend to build the back of, of houses anyway, because it, it feels more complete. It's a little bit different in the, uh, the Granada 
project that we've done in that uh, it's only like a three quarters so it can stop abruptly at the back because that's not the back of the building it's just a it's just a finish well it's just the front of the building really i mean what you're seeing is the entrance to the granada inside is a foyer and upstairs is the restaurant you know we're not even anywhere near the actual auditorium there no, it's looking, a massive building isn't it yeah, looking at the plans it was it's quite awe-inspiring as to what the architects dreamt of when they were coming up with but it must have been such a a fantastic building to walk through because like I say looking through the plans it just went on and on and on you know going further back you sort of walked into the foyer you'd have the the ticket office the the little shop and then you'd have a set of stairs that walk through to another door and then walking through to the auditoriums behind so yeah it, it's vast so you built the front of the Granada and at that point I remember you sending me a picture of I guess that you put the model up against a window or something at some kind of light and then the light came through yeah it was on it was on the kitchen worktop and obviously because it's in front of a window and they've got the natural daylight coming through from behind and at that point the model didn't have a back it was just open so you'd got the glow of the outside light shining through the the frosted windows as i'd put in on the model and it created a, a light glow and at that point <laughs> at that point you thought oh it'd be nice to light it can we light can we light it that's more and I think you were encouraging me to light the foyer, actually. You said that you could get an LED for that, but I think I took it a bit further because I went, well, what about lighting the Granada sign at the front? And at that point, I could sort of like, obviously, we were having this conversation via DM messages on Twitter. That's how we corresponded basically throughout the project. And I could sort of like hear from Huddersfield to Mansfield, you slapping your face, your palm against your face, you know? Yeah, like, like, what's what, he's, what's what, have I, what have I suggested now then? But, but yeah, it wasn't too much difficult from saying if we're going to light the foyer, then we can light the sign. The only problem to solve, which was a good one, was how I was going to do it. But I'd instantly had an idea in my head as how I was going to achieve that. And as it turns out, it wasn't that tricky. It wasn't as tricky as I thought it was going to be. It was a bit fiddly to apply, but you know, it involved making the making cut-out letters and then drilling holes in the back of the wall to put the light through. Having a big void behind it helped that I could you know light the void rather than having to individually light the letters. The void's lit, and through the holes, the light emits into the light boxes of, of the sign. Yes. And there are obviously a light box for each of the letters, which is something that I was like desperate for you to do. Yeah, because I, I can remember coming to you and saying look it's probably going to have to be a full box you know rather than individual letters we're probably going to have to be able to do a bit of a compromise and full boxes no 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 it's got to look right and it's like okay right the reason <laughs> we'll for that the, drawing board. the reason for that lee was and this is the thing with the collaboration and i know that i probably seemed a little bit anal as we went through it was that that you know to me that was a focal point the granada sign is the focal yeah, point no, of it i'm glad you pushed me to that because it does look better it looks it looks right um, and i think if it was if it was as, as we discussed, I think we'd look at that and go, I wish we'd done it separately. So I'm really pleased that you, you went the extra mile there because I think that's one thing that, that I'd like to sort of express in this interview is that the attention to detail is amazing. And I think by pushing yourself there, maybe with a little push from me, I think that that really, really added to it. And with the lights on it, I know that lots of people, when you put up pictures on Twitter, because we agreed at the start, I said, you put up as many pictures as you want. And people were loving that. Yeah, it's, it's something I always ask it, because um, I know with commission work, people don't like the work sharing until it's finished. They want, you know, the finished product, whether it be because they just don't want anyone to see it in development or whether it might be a surprise for somebody or... Or whatever so i always make a point of saying look are you happy to for me to share progress in what i've done because it's, it's the way i've always worked i always like to show people i mean it's, it's nice to show the the finished article but there are so many sort of faceless kind of people that think this is the finished thing i do you know this is, but i'd like to show people what i'm actually doing it's like a 
it's a scruffy workplace that I work in because I'm, I'm kind of in the um, you know working where I, where I can at home it's not a dedicated workshop it's on my kitchen table or it's on the on the worktop in the kitchen because you know I've got something else going on so I like to show people what what I'm doing and and how it's sort of transcribing from a, a drawing on a computer onto something stuck down onto a piece of board then cut out and then starts to form a, a 3d model so it's kind of interesting for other people to see how I'm working but I will always ask you know the, the people that I'm working for if, if they're happy for that and you you were more than happy to to share progress I think you were excited about it I think you you actually mentioned on Twitter that you were going to work with me on this before I actually started it. Because I was excited that it was going to actually happen. And seeing the pictures, as you know, the little tiny foyer, and it sort of like grow from that little tiny seed, really, yeah. into the full diorama was just, just a magical few weeks. And I felt that I was very much part of the process. And because it was a history project as well, you know, it's a history project. So you made the Granada itself. And then at that point, we discussed maybe making a little bit bigger than, than I think you wanted. I think you initially thought we were just going to make the Granada. That was what um, that was what we had originally talked about, and that's what I, I, I thought I was coming towards the end of. You know, here we go. I finished the cinema now. It's it's done. It's almost ready to send to you. It's like, oh, what happens if we, uh, you know, can we go a little bit further and put it in its setting? And again, it's something I'm glad you um, sort of pushed towards because I think it looks an awful lot better being a little slice out of where it was rather than being a standalone, you know, model of, of what it is. Is what which is what I tend to do with with models of houses. It's like nobody wants their next door neighbour sticking on it. But in this instance, it was more than just a model of the Granada. It was a model of a slice of the corner of Mansfield. So um, it looked better having the adjoining building to it and it made better sense from a model point of view. And then just carrying that onto the other side, across the road to where the old dry cleaners is or was. The reason why I wanted you to include that was because that building still exists. Yeah. So a lot of Westgate up from the Granada was demolished in 1973 to make way for the Four Seasons Shopping Centre and Littlewoods. That's what Granada became, Littlewoods built the site which then became part of the Four Seasons. The actual original plans for the Four Seasons didn't include the Granada. So for those people who get upset about the Four Seasons being there and that got rid of the Granada, it wasn't really the Four Seasons. But I wanted the building that's still there, which is now Greg's. If we were going to display this at some point, hopefully in Mansell Museum, people would like go, oh, well, that building's still there. And that's what we're missing. Yeah, it was good to, to, to give it a, a focal point in, in reality. Because, I mean, it's... Like I say, I was standing there this this afternoon and, and looking at the spot you know, without seeing the photographs that I've seen of, of Marks and Spencers across the road and, and where Greg's is now. It's hard to imagine that the Granada and what was beyond it was, was actually there. It's like a lot of old town centres that have drastically changed since the 60s. But yes, it's you can tell that that building on the corner, even though it's changed from, from our model time point, it's changed a lot since then, but you can still see it's it's there. It's you know the corner building is still there, and you know in an ideal world we may have gone a little bit further down the high street and maybe across the road. Just but then it wouldn't have been a model of the Granada anymore. It'd been a model of the the town centre. And on the other side of the Granada, there was a building that was actually attached to the Granada. The strange thing about the Granada, as you look at it, is that there's actually an alleyway sort of between the foyer area that would have taken you round the back of the Granada. You could actually walk all the way round it. You go down that alley and you could walk all the way around and come out on the other side next to the dry cleaners. So actually the wall of that, I guess, is also the next building. Is that right? It's hard to say because it, it was a symmetrical building, which is something I'd, um, I'd struggled with when I was building it as a standalone because studying the photographs, it looked like it wasn't quite symmetrical, which I later realised was a perspective issue in looking at the photographs so 
as you were aware, because I kept showing you photographs of it, I was uneasy that the fact that I built it slightly wrong, so it wasn't quite symmetrical. And we were like, oh, we'll, we'll, you'll never notice once there's another building next to it. But it bugged me. And I'm glad that I built the building next to it as a modular standalone for a while because I, I'd suddenly decided I was going to take it out. I was going to make it symmetrical. So that whole right-hand side of the roof, which wasn't quite right, came out and I rebuilt it. But yeah, I think, I think there was a, a little bit of wall at the front, which then went on to... It may, be, it may have had its own little internal wall, but yeah, it, it, for all intents and purposes, it backed onto the next building. For me, it but needed that building as part of it. It's only half of the next building, is it? Tell us the story of that. It is, yeah. Well, well obviously, the, the building, uh, that row of shops or whatever, went on for quite a while. That first building was actually, although it was one building, there were two units, as you would call it now. There were two shops, essentially, there. But it was an odd building in a way because it had five windows at the front. It's sort of spaced out evenly. But the third window along was actually halfway through the two properties so if we were to slice it there we we're slicing straight through a window so we eventually decided to take a bit of a dog leg cut down so it included the windows that belonged to the butcher's shop and nothing else so instead of having a blank or a half a half window so it's kind of a little cutaway is that section at the time in 1964 which is where we have homed in on yeah it's pendennis is the butchers and then the next building that we miss is a jewelers which i think was betterson's jewelers i think now, Pendennis was really interesting for us because we had pictures, but the pictures were very grainy. We had a black and white picture that you could see there was something there. We wasn't really sure what it was. Kind of like, how would you describe it? Sort of like joined up handwriting. Yes, yeah, like, an, a, like a, a script typeface. I think we, we worked out what it actually said because it said on the, on the, the floor plan that we had for the, the street, it said Pendennis Butchers, although it's knowing what it said and tying it down together. It's one of those words when you, you look at it and think, what does that say? But then having cross-referenced it with something else we figured out that was it it was Pendennis Butchers and like you say we had a few glimpses of it in photographs but it wasn't really distinct until you did a bit further research didn't you? well there's been a lady that's been helping me a lady called Angie who is a former Mansfieldian who now lives in Wales and she's been fantastic she's involved with lots of Mansfield orientated Facebook groups so I've been sending her pictures and she's been going wow that looks great and this is what this was. And I went, do you know anything about, do, do we have any pictures of Pendennis that's a little bit better than the ones that we have? We've got two, the black and white one. We've got um, the one given to us by the Old Mansell Society, but you couldn't quite see. And she went into her archives and discovered an old advert that was in the Chad, which is the local newspaper in Mansfield, the frontage of the shop. It was a shop. It wasn't the exact identical shop, which I worked out. Um, they had bran the, the actual butchers had branches across this part of the, the country. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly where, but I think it was one of the other branches, which was almost a carbon copy, but not quite the same if you look back at the photographs. But it was enough to give us exactly what the front of the shop should have looked like. So it was enough to go off just for that little section. That was a big moment for us, wasn't it? It was a big moment, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like... It sounds a little bit um, nerdy to talk of it this way, but it's quite fascinating. It's like it's almost like a time team thing when they, they're trying to dig up something from the past and saying, well, this is what it would have looked like. Look, that's where the wall went round. And it was kind of a... Instead of having to make something up to make it kind of fit, we found what it actually should have looked like. And, and putting that on, I think it helps. I mean, a lot of the people that are seeing this are not going to really remember, oh, you know, saying that you've got the shop wrong there or whatever. It, but making it look as real and as right as it could have been for the setting i think from my point of view and, and I'm, I'm sure you're the same it, it just helps and makes it look better i think it just makes it very special particularly for me you know i i'm a mansfield lad and i wanted it as close to reality as as it could be hence the reason why i was pushing a lot 
can we make this happen? I also wanted to do it for those people that I've done interviews with who actually worked at the Granada and knew it at that time. You know, there was part of me that was desperate to please those people that worked at the Granada. I was desperate to make sure that the projectionists and the people that worked in Miss Candy and the Usherette were able to look at this and go, yes, that's right. That was important to me. It's like with, with a lot of the historical models that I've done, it's great to be able to make it look real, to, to put it in its, um, in its time frame, rather than make something up just, just to make it fit. It ultimately brought the model completely to life. So the last bit we really need to talk about before we round this up is the alleyway, in between the Granada. The alleyway. And this, this was very hard for us. Not quite the hardest, because maybe there is something else we need to talk about, which is billboard related but the alleyway was difficult for us because we didn't have a photograph of actually down the alleyway we had the street plan which suggested what was there it showed where the the back of the cinema went down it suggested backs of buildings from behind the dry cleaners and the what was the hairdressing salon next to it the yard leading off behind there initially we were looking at maybe putting the corner of the dry cleaners in and then having a bit of a you know, rough wall that went down the back just to suggest there was something there. But in the end, we went as far as we could in terms of, of matching reality. You came across a photograph in a, in a book which showed a glimpse of what was the Elite Cafe, uh, and we, we believe was a fish and chip shop. So we went down a convoluted route of looking at the map and trying to work out from the photograph angle where it was in situ, which involved me putting um, little bits of model board in as it were just to show where things perhaps might have been you were taking pictures and sorting out like a perspective from us exactly, like can you yeah. take can you take a picture from the perspective of the one that we have from i think sort of the late 50s the picture that we had because it had the columns on the front of yeah. the granada at that time so it's like right if we if we're stood here where is the photographer you're taking that of the little model to try and work out exactly where the fish shop was and i think in the end we had to really make a compromise on that didn't we i think it was it was clear that it was probably further down the alleyway or maybe closer we're not sure we're not sure i mean it could be a trick of perspective but what i think what we've created eventually is something that mirrors the perspective of the photograph that we found which shows it a little bit deeper in retrospect it would have been nicer to have found that out before I decided on how far I was going back with the cinema because to fit the chip shop in I've had to, had to kind of cut it off against the, the backdrop so it's it's there you can see enough of, of it but it's not the complete building. I'm excited that it's there a lot of people have memories of it once again I went to Facebook with the help of Angie thank you Angie for all your help on this on Facebook people have so many memories of that place I had chips there my mum and dad used to go there we loved it I got some chips from there and then I walked down the alley and John Lennon said to me, give us a chip, mate, you know, all those kind of stories. Yeah. So having it actually on the diorama, I think, is special because people will have the memories of, of those. They might be able to see it and, and, you know, maybe even smell the fish and chips. I had a little bit of fun because I've, I've been taking photographs along the way and at the point where we'd, um, we'd got the signage for the Elite Cafe, which is what it was, weirdly it was on the building of... Um, quick press the, the dry cleaners I think it was obviously pointing down the alleyway to show there was something there at that point I hadn't built the chip shop but I put the sign up and I took a little photograph sort of over the top of it showing down and I, I came up with a little scenario in my head that was a bus parked up there with a, a customer from the chip shop just uh, having emerged and hopped onto the bus for the, the last bus home and it was just a little bit of fun you know I could have with these kind of dioramas kind of making up stories so yeah it would be very easy to have imagined that um, Somebody had just come out of the cinema, nipped to the chippy and then hopped on the bus. We were very lucky for that side of the street actually that we had Malcolm Appleby's film 
the film that he shot in 1960 of the manager who'd just recently arrived at the cinema who wanted to have a film and we were able to sort of like follow him very closely and we were able to see that elite cafe sign on the side of the building. We could see what the colours were of the quick press shop and we could also see a glimpse of that red wall that we put in there and the black um, sort of bottom bit and we could see that there was a sentry sign which is the sister cinema. So. I made a little sign for there, so I feel like I've played a little tiny part. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. That was like a like a little poster that I'd made. It was, yeah. Just that some, it, based on on some kind of reality, it might not have been technically correct, but we were never going to see anything, you know, from every single aspect that was technically correct. So again, even the even unless you get your eye right up against it or your nose up against the model, you're not going to be able to read what it said. You can read what it says on it. You can get in, if you can get in close enough, but from a normal viewing distance, you just get the idea that there's something there. But it's like with what I was saying earlier; it's just nice to know that it's there. If we know it's there, then it uh, it helps. Yeah, and also we believe that that's sort of an entrance to the Clumber hairdressers. Yeah, that's it what opened we think. up a, all this this alleyway opened up a whole new sort of uh, element of unraveling time in discovering what was there and what may have you know what it all led to and so we felt we were close but at the same time we, we were a long way off and sort yeah. of the final piece in the jigsaw was the billboard tell us the story of the billboard it was the billboard as you, um, from the photograph that we ha we don't have a photograph of the actual time frame from the from the opposite angle in 1964 that we've got the majority of the info from we don't have a photograph in the opposite angle to show what was exactly on the billboard the only thing we've got from a similar time frame shows a cigarette advert, but it's very indistinct. I mean, you were a bit dubious in the first place of putting a cigarette advert up for... I was a little bit worried about it, but then, you know, I spoke to a few people about it and said, well, you know, that's history, and, and people yeah. were smoking cigarettes. So I spoke to one of the ladies that worked at Miss Candy, and I said, well, what was the sweets that they used to sell at Miss Candy there? And she said, well, I can't remember what sweets were big, but I'll tell you what everybody had from Miss Candy when they came out or were going into the cinema. What was that? Ten part drive. <laughs> Yeah. everybody had a pack of the cigarettes so so I started to sort of lean towards well maybe we should try and find that but it, it seems that it's very difficult you, the internet's amazing for lots of stuff but very difficult to find old billboards of anything from the 60s it is I mean my initial search was pulling up Marlboro ads or Camel ads from from the States you know there's a lot lots of things in the archives but sometimes you can you can strike extremely lucky and find exactly what you're looking for because Initially, I thought, well, it's not going to be too hard. Just put cigarette, you know, cigarette advert 1964, or then try and tie down the the brand. I mean, I th I think I'd worked out that it might be a particular brand. I'd, I'd convinced myself that it was a particular brand, but ju judging by what I could see, and I'd down a rabbit hole of searching for for hours proved fruitless. I could find similar adverts, but not quite the same. So then we came back to the idea: let's let's try and find something from around that kind of period. If I was finding things and sending them to you, and you said, no, that doesn't work. It's not right. And then we found something else that was almost right, but I'd had to, had to make something up. And it's like, no, we can't use that either because that's not real. It didn't exist. We, we had a gin advert at once. We had a gin advert, yes. Which was which was of the time, but I just don't think it worked as no, the billboard. No, it just looked a little bit. It looked a little bit boring. It didn't. It didn't quite sit right. It didn't look like it belonged. So we went back to the um, to looking at something to do with Mansfield, didn't we? Exactly. Actually, it sort of started off by suddenly having a, a good old session of looking at the sides of buses because obviously not many pictures of billboards but lots of pictures of buses and on buses there were adverts on buses and so he looked at a lot of Mansfield buses and different adverts that were there and obviously one of the big parts of Mansfield was the brewery, yeah. the Mansfield Bitter and we found a few buses of a similar time period that had Mansfield Bitter 
ads on it and that's what we decided to go down that route. We did. I mean, for a combination of you finding a, um, a genuine advert that was on the side of the bus, which we figured it could quite easily have been a billboard or be in a different format, uh, I then sort of used my graphic design experience to, uh, to create something that, again, it wasn't exactly real, but it was based on a, a real ad just rejigged to a different format. It was local and I think that really tied it together. Suddenly it all came together for me. When that billboard went up, yeah. it was that was like this is this is real now. Yeah, we went through a few stages because I, I was I was sticking them up with a kind of temporary glue just to show you what it would look like in, in situ and it was like I don't like that and then it finally, yeah, let's go for that. So I then took it back off again and, and put it down firmly. What was the experience like for you doing this particular? I know you've done lots of things in the past. I'm not asking you to tell me it's the most exciting thing you've done, but did you enjoy the process? No, I, I really enjoyed this one. It was, like I say, it was a slightly different way of working from making sort of complete bits from the ground up. Um, the, the Granada itself was almost finished. I left certain elements off it that I was going to come back to. Um, building, the, building the corner shop for the quick press was, uh, that was a really good day. Um, you know, we've been conversing sort of on a daily basis on this ever since I've started working on it. And, and we went, that was a good day in terms of, we went from talking about what we were going to do to the point where by the end of the, uh, end of the day, I'd, I'd shown you a photograph of what I'd built for that corner. And it was nice to sort of, um, to bring it up from mocking something up on the computer to, to physically building it. And it, I like the social aspect of, of making a model of what was there a bit, little bit of history rather than doing something like a bit of railway architecture or a, an old castle wall or something like that. it was nice to have built a little corner shop that was there not just a generic corner shop but something that was actually there so it's been it's been fun and I've had, I've had a lot of feedback from from posting the the progress on twitter but positive feedback you know wow this is fantastic I, you know i love this and and that's that's always nice to see i mean everybody likes a bit of um a little bit of positive reaction and i must admit i'm a bit of a a feedback junkie when it comes to you know showing progress is probably why I, I post a lot of um, unfinished photographs it's like what do you think although I'm not necessarily looking for oh you're brilliant kind of thing I just like to you know to show people what I'm doing and that I, I like <laughs> like anybody does I like getting a bit of positive feedback so but that helps that kind of positivity to what you're doing it, it really helps and and I know you've been sort of uh, glowing, sending me glowing praise of the progress as it's gone along so oh, it's been fantastic I've really enjoyed the collaboration element of it I'm sure at times you were like oh my goodness this guy is relentless there was times when you became obsessed with a different part of it and it was like I've got to find this out I've got to find this out and then it's like am I going to let people down if I don't get this right am I going to let myself down when this cut when it's delivered am I at a later point going to go I wish we'd gone further I think we've I think you've nailed it I think it is absolutely bang on and you know I think other people should be really seriously thinking about if they want to have anything made they should be coming to you because you are a genius you're an absolute artist with this sort of stuff and and it's been an, a pleasure an absolute pleasure to, to work with you on this Lee, how can people find out more about you? How do they get in touch if, if they want to commission you? And what's next for you? Well, my, my main point of call is, is Twitter. I use Twitter a lot. And I've got str rather a strange uh, Twitter handle that I'm loath to change now because I've had it ever since I was um, ever since I joined Twitter. Um, my username is Bilbo Barney Bobs. And I put that in because it was the name of the three cats that I had at the time and it was easy to remember. Um, you can search for that or you can search for L&R models I'm sure you'll be able to find me uh, 
I've had people, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I was featured on the BBC um, news site back in the summer, and obviously they don't advertise, uh, and people were sort of wily enough to be able to, to find me from that, so so yeah, um, next stage, I mean, I'm open to commissions, I've got slots for, for next year, but uh, I'm going to be working for the foreseeable future on these models at the moment, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Must ask you about this, somebody made a very good point on one of your tweets when you put a picture up of the Granada and they said it looks real you know it looks as if it's actually real and the reason for that is because it's not quite perfect explain that to me because you can make a model too right you can make a model too right in the fact that sometimes it looks like a model you look at something and think oh that's a model it looks too perfect it's like the things that you can buy off from a railway modeling aspect you can go and buy a, a model of a signal box or something and it's it's all plastic it's flat color you can tell it's a model Whereas the models that I make, I try and make them as look as realistic and worn and weathered and perhaps something a little bit broken as possible. And that makes a model. It's the real feel. It's the real feel rather than, you know, take it. There are certain elements like, like the Miss Candy sign. It could have been a little bit more weathered and realistic looking, but we didn't have anything really to go off. So that's a little bit too perfect for me. But from the stonework point of view, it's a little bit old. It's a little bit worn looking. And that's the way I like things to look. I took a photograph of the scene last night and it was, um, I just stuck the bus stop sign down, but it, the glue hadn't set and it started falling over a little bit. So I made up a little story saying, oh, the workmen are going to have to come back tomorrow for that. And somebody said, well, maybe it's a little bit too realistic it's falling over you know maybe they were all quite like that it's it's the realism and the not quite perfect aspect I like you've got a real feel for it to get that reality there you have to have a feel for it is that something that that you gained over the years of doing model I think making it is. I think it's uh, you get an idea of what uh, what structure should feel like what it should look like how it should go together I had a compliment from um, an architect friend of mine that um, he'd, he'd drawn up some plans to help me out with a, a model that I'd made. It was quite a complicated model, and he said, "But you've got a real feel of the the space. You know, it's amazing how you've you've managed to." It's like not not wanting to blow my own trumpet or anything, but you do kind of get an idea from being able to translate from from a plan how something should should sort of come together in a three D sort of format, not a computer three D format, a real feel in your hands format. It's a scale model, so it's translating reality down to a small scale, and you're still getting that sense of space and shape and form. You're a fan of making chimneys, actually, aren't you? You're a big chimney man. I get the impression you are. <laughs> I do like chimneys, yes. It's, um, the current model that I'm making is, uh, I can't say who it's for just at the moment, but it's um, its something that he commissioned me to do with a lot of um, sort of free reign to an extent, because it's not a real building. Um, Right, I enjoyed making the chimney stack of it. I like chimneys. I guess it's from watching Fred Dibner back when I was a kid. Finally, we should mention this. Theoprothetus. I always forget how... The, the, the former dragon. Tell us about I what happened remember. there. I can't pronounce his name either. I'm sorry, Theo. But um, Theoprothetus, I think it is. That's it, yeah. Dragon's Den. Um, I found out about this because on Twitter, um, I've started to engage a lot more with fellow crafters, with, with other people. A lot of people sell things through, uh, through Etsy or whatever. They're all crafters, make various things from jewellery through to um, my favourite one is suitcase trains, makes little model trains in a suitcase. They are amazing. And um, I kind of follow on what, what they're doing, what they're getting involved with. And one big thing is there's a, a thing that Theo runs every Sunday called SBS, Small Business Sunday. And basically, it's just a, a little bit of support for small businesses that are getting out there. You know, you pitch your, your business idea to him and he'll, every week on a Monday evening, he picks six businesses to feature, retweets them, gets business, uh, gets support. And I think we have an annual uh, conference that they invite all the previous winners to, to, to network, etc. 
and I always thought, you know, I'll have a go at that, you know, what's to lose? Um, and it was the weekend I was going away on holiday. I'd composed a tweet already on my phone. Um, no, it was the week before. I'd composed a tweet already, but I'd got my times wrong. I looked up and he'd, his entries are closed. Like, oh, never mind, I'll do it next week. But we were going away on holiday next week, so I got it all stored on my phone. And we just stopped at the hotel we were stopping at. And wife had nipped in to go and uh, register, and I was just sat in the car, thought, right, fire. So I, I hit the send button, and that's the last I heard about it until one of my friends got in touch with me Sunday evening and said, you've never guessed what. So have you looked? And it's like, what? He says, you've only gone and got yourself one of the winners. Of and it's the first time I'd entered. And you know, he, he picked picked my little business idea as, as one of his ideas. You know, phone was on fire for a, a few days after that. That was a big moment for you. It was quite a big moment. Yeah, I mean, you know, the I'll, I'll pick uh, promoter again. It was suitcase trains that was that got in touch with me because she's a former winner, and she was like saying, um, you know, do you understand just how many people sort of enter and you know what the odds are in um, in being chosen? And I feel a little bit guilty because there's people who've been trying for years to get noticed and. And it was my first ever attempt at applying, and uh, you know I was picked out. So yeah, it was, it was a big moment. I mean, I've I've, I've had the uh, the SBS winners badge as my um, profile picture for ever since August, you know, which I've just recently changed now because. But you know, it's it's now the Granada at the moment. It's I think. now the Granada, yes, sir. Which yeah. which makes me feel very special. <laughs> uh, it should make uh, Mansfield feel very special. So finally, I wish you massive good luck with the things you do going forward. I know that we're going to keep in contact. Yeah, um, I was, I was and, say that. I hope we do. Yeah, I'm cooking up other ideas in my head, maybe, to, to work good. with. I'd love to work with you again at some point in the future, and I know that we're going to... I, know, I, I feel like um, I made a friend during this as well, so thank Absolutely. you so much. Yeah. And um, I'll be following your progress very, very closely. Um, what was your high point and what was your low point in this project? High point is making the Granada Cinema sign light up. That was the high point, making that work. It was one of those moments where you flick a switch and that's exactly right, that's brilliant. Low point was realizing I'd got the roof wrong on the left, right-hand side of the model and thinking, that won't do, I can't live with it, it won't do. Weirdly, I pushed you on lots and lots of things and I asked you to do crazy stuff. I know I even asked you sort of last night, there's two RAC signs at the front of the building which you put on there and they look great, but they didn't have sort of like the, ha what would you call them? The hangers? Brackets, the the brackets. brackets. Yeah. And I was like, are you going to put the brackets on? <laughs> and you're like, well, I th you know, I thought maybe that was a bridge too far, but I'll do it, you said. I did, yes. Yeah, you did, and you did it and it looks fantastic and I'm so glad you, you went to that effort. But on, the, on that side of things, I was happy with that side of the building. There were certain things that I knew that I had to compromise on, but there were certain bits that I felt so passionate about that I had to go further so apologies if I was an absolute pain in the ass but it's been brilliant and the model speaks for itself it is absolutely amazing and the people that have seen the pictures so far have been blown away by it I know the people that work at the Granada are over the moon about it I think it's wonderful and I can't wait to exhibit it at Mansell Museum and I can't wait for you to come down in better times when Covid ain't here so we can have a beer together, a Mansfield bitter, Mansfield bitter a Mansfield bitter and um, go and see it in situ in the museum and, and thank you for all the work you've done Lee, you're a star, a diamond. Right, it's great, thanks a lot.